How's everybody feeling today? Let's stand up. I want you to open your hearts to the Holy Spirit, to the light of God that is within you by the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus did for us. And so, Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Father, I ask for your anointing. I ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to set us free and empower us to walk as you've created us to walk, to live as you've created us to live. And we give you thanks for it in Jesus name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Once you look in, we're going to look at a number of scriptures today. So we're just going to jump right in. Revelation, Revelation chapter one. I'm going to try to be nice today and not rock too many boats. I have these these guys from uh, Indiana that have been, I think Indiana, one of those states back there that's been listening. And uh, they sent me emails like, you know, my last sacred cow got killed. And I thought, that's what I always thought too until the next one. (laughs) But it's just fun. But they're talking about how, you know, free they are and how much more peace and love and joy and all that. So you, you judge things by their fruit. Isn't that what Jesus said? So anyway, Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. The ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us in from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests. And has made us kings and priests to his God the Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Eh. So when it says he's the ruler of the kings of the earth, it begs the question, or it should beg the question, who are the kings? Because if if you let that verse stand alone, then you think he's talking about Caesar and the kings of the different, the monarchs, right? The Queen of England, Donald Trump, right? He would take that as a compliment. I called him a king. But look what he says. He, he loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and made us to be kings. So when he's the king of kings, you if you're a believer, if you've been washed in the blood, if you've been redeemed, then you are the kings that he is the king of. If he's Lord of lords, then you are lords that he is Lord of. Right? And what does the king do? Oh, it's not, this is not a trick question. Thank you. A king rules, right? Rules something. And so really, if we are going to operate... Now, here's the other thing. He says you're kings and priests. So we had been talking about Melchizedek, and Melchizedek was an order of what? A king and a priest. And the writer of Hebrews goes out of his way to say, in Israel, the two never meet. There, you, you, there, there isn't a king priest. There's, there's a kings that come from Judah. There's priests that come from Levi, but the two never come together. But in Christ, because he, he's not Melchizedek, he comes after the order of Melchizedek. So he fashions you in his own image. If you're being conformed to the image of Christ, and he is a king priest, then guess what image you're being conformed to? 
I'm already preaching better than you're giving yeah. back to me. Come on. So, so what image are you being conformed to? That of a king priest. And so very few believers understand that their anointing is that of a king priest. In fact, most people don't realize that the word Christ is not Jesus' last name. He's not Mr. Christ. It's it's a word that if it were translated in English, it would mean anointed. So Jesus is anointed with the anointing to, to be both a king and a priest in the earth. And when you become a Christian, you become a little Christ, if you will. You become another Christ, if you will. So therefore, your anointing also is that to be a king and a priest. See, what I'm telling you is you have a supernatural endowment from God. You have been given power and energy from God in order to function as a king or a priest over your own life. Uh, I don't think you're believing me. Come with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, I think it's verse 12. Or not. I think it's verse 17. <laughs> Romans 5, 17. For if by the one man's offense... Watch this. Now we're going we're gonna to be in Romans for a little bit because you have to understand Romans is a book of freedom. Romans is a book of freedom. Paul is is telling the Christians who they are. Yes, it's a book about community. It certainly is. He, he's trying to help Jews and Gentiles live together in, in, in harmony and love and unity. But primarily, it's a book about freedom and empowering the individual. You're probably going to hear me saying this a lot from, from now on. But, but the one thing about the Christian faith, it was never meant to be a collective religion that was ruled by the few. It was never meant to be turned into a form of mind control to influence the masses and it's not meant in our country to be hijacked by either political party to become an instrument and a tool for them to use in order to shape democracy by those who are the power mongers in our culture that want to shape the future but have no anointing to rule. Because the only kings on the earth that Jesus is the ruler of are the kings that He made who are participating in His Melchizedek anointing. So there are people who are trying to shape the future that don't have the anointing to shape the future. They are trying to work, if you will, the crown, the reason it's a king-priest is this. If it was just a king, then the authority would not flow out of God who is love. The reason it has to be a king-priest, the, the, the crown of the believer, because it is both a priesthood, which means it serves God, and a kingship, which means it has the power to rule, then what it's saying is, is that when you wear that crown as a Christian, you are the legitimate creative force for shaping the future. That the anointing of this order, the anointing of this priesthood and this kingship is an anointing to shape and create the future that is coming and flowing from the Trinity. Therefore, it is the only legitimized form of magic. Because what does a magician do? A magician changes the future. A magician causes things to appear that weren't there before, right? Right? 
And so the issue is, is that, and what, hey, here's what happens. Here's what happens. So what happens is that the rulers that be cannot shape the future without tapping into the anointing of the Melchizedek priesthood, even if the priests are too dumb to know what's going on. And so what happens is, is that the Christian church becomes hijacked because we are the head and not the tail. So, so unless we're saying it, there's not the force to make it happen. So what happens then is that the political powers hijack the church for the purpose of illegitimately tapping into their birthright, into their anointing, and into their inheritance so that they can shape the future the way that they want to shape the future. And, and because the church does not know who they are, and because the individual has not woke up to the power that they have to shape a new future, to rule as a king and a priest upon the earth, then what happens is, is those who are operating under the force of darkness keep shaping the future with the church's consent and cooperation. And they don't want you to know the power and the anointing and the ability and the identity that you have within. So they keep exteriorizing religion. They make it about morality and political agendas when really it should be about tapping into the power and the anointing that God has given you to operate as a king and a priest so that you can shape the world the way the, 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 the flowing from your heart. Flowing from your own heart, shaping your own destiny. Alright, let's shift gears. Come with me to Genesis 1. I'm preaching better than you're giving me feedback. I'm just saying. Genesis 1, watch this. Verse 4. Genesis 1, verse 4. And God saw the light, that it was good, and he divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, so there was evening and morning the first day. Then come with me to verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons And for days. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made two lights, two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night, the stars also. Now, in the King James, it says he made the stars also, but he made is in the italics. Means, and when anything's in the italics, it means that the translator inserted it because they wanted to try to make it make sense to you. But in this case, especially, it makes sense without the italics. Because what he's saying is, is that the night is governed or ruled, everybody say ruled, by the moon and the stars. So the stars, according to scripture, the stars are in the heavens, the sun and the moon and the stars are in the heavens for rulership. The sun is ruling the day, the moon and the stars is ruling, and the night is what? Darkness. Because he called the darkness night. So the, <laughs> so the rulers of the darkness of this age, according to Genesis chapter 1, is the moon and the stars. 
Are you breathing? The rulers of the darkness, according to Genesis 1, is the moon and the stars. Got it? Everybody can agree with that, right? That means they have influence. We think the ancients were just, you know, the ancient people, I think, in a lot of ways were smarter than us. We think they were fools for worshiping the stars or doing divination by the stars, astrology. And as modern people, because here's the thing, and I really, there's part of me that believes this. The powers that be want you ignorant about the powers that be. So if they can convince you there's nothing to your astrological chart, there's nothing to your birth sign, there's nothing to the stars, that's all just witchcraft, then you do not understand the forces that govern you. Are you breathing? Come with me to Ephesians 6. And you'll see this. I'm not just making this up. I'm getting this from the Bible. Remember, ages were determined by the alignment of the stars in all ancient cultures, including Israel's. The Bible speaks to this. I've said this before. But when Jesus is showing up, there is a shift that is happening in the ages. And this is in the ancient writings of Israel. It's why the Magi. Who are the Magi? The Magi were astrologers. They were stargazers who came from the east to worship Jesus as king. Why? Because they saw his star. Right? So through their stargazing, they understood Herod and the powers that be in Israel did not understand. So there was a shift of ages. We were, they, the, the earth and the sun was moving out of the sign Aries, which is the ram. Which is why everything in the Bible was governed by sheep in the Old Testament. It's why they killed a lamb at midnight during the Passover. It's why Moses got upset with them for worshiping a bull, because the age before was Taurus, or the age of the bull. It wasn't just the idolatry. It's why Abraham was a shepherd. It's why David was a shepherd. It's why Moses was a shepherd. So when Jesus comes, now all of a sudden he's baptized in water, because you see, Aries is considered a fire sign. But after Aries, in terms of ages, comes the age of Pisces. What is Pisces? Fish. And what is a fish? Where does it live? In the water. So fish is a water sign. (laughs) So when John the Baptist comes and starts announcing a new age, what does he do? He buries people in water. Why? Because that's where the fish live. Because there's a shift and a change of the ages. It wasn't a baptism font. It was a river. What do you do at a river? The early church fathers said that Jesus is the great fish and we are the little fish that come out of the great fish. What was the sign of the early Christians? You know, some of you still have it on the back of your cars. Or you see it on businesses, right? Why a fish? Why not a lamb? 
He's the great shepherd. All right, so watch this. So the end of the age is the end of the age of Aries and the beginning of the age of Pisces. So therefore, Jesus says, no sign will be given to this generation except the sign of what? Jonah. What happened to Jonah? He arrived in a fish. Then he says, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale (laughs) for three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. So when Jesus dies on the cross, (laughs) I mean, I'm sorry, when, when, when John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, what does he say about him? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So when Jesus dies on the cross, he is the final. He, he dies during what feast? Passover. Why is, guess what sign is ruling in the heavens in March and April when you're celebrating Passover? Aries. So he dies as the final lamb and gets raised out of a fish. To show you that he represents the end of the age of Aries, the lamb, and moves into the age of Pisces, the fish, which is also why he didn't call shepherds. He called fishermen to come along and become fishers of. Are you breathing? Here's my point. The stars ruled the ages. Everybody say this with me. The stars ruled the the ages. This is this is new to people, and they get upset because they think it's astrology. But I'm just telling you, the Bible says. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Before we look at Ephesians, look with me in Job 38. Job 38, verse 31. This is God speaking, by the way. He asks Job in Job 38, 31, can you bind the cluster of Pleiades? Now, Pleiades is a star, right? So, and, and the cluster there is, is the, the cluster of the vine. Not the, not the cluster of the stars. It's, it's, it's the idea of wine or influence. Job 38, 38, 31. Or loose the belt of Orion. Can you bring out the Maseroth, which is the circle of the Zodiac, in its season? Or can you guide the great bear with its cubs? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens, and can you set their dominion on the earth? So right here, God is saying there are influences that influence your consciousness. Just like wine influences your consciousness, there are energies coming from the stars to the earth that influence the consciousness of humanity and have dominion and rulership over the earth. Are you guys breathing? Just look at somebody and say, well, it's in the Bible. Please. Now look at Ephesians 6. Here's why this is important. 
When you start reading the Bible and putting it back in its ancient context, it takes on different meaning. Ephesians 6.10 Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Now please, 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 Forget every spiritual warfare conference you've ever been to that gave you these charts of the different hierarchies that somebody made up in their head. Forget what you think this verse means. Because first of all, principalities and powers are not invisible beings. They're governing powers. They're political powers. When Paul says the principalities and powers crucified the Lord of glory, he's talking about the religious hierarchical system and the Roman hierarchical system that got together to crucify Christ. When he talks about we wrestle not against flesh and blood, actually what he's saying is your your wrestling match is not with yourself. It's not with your own nature. It's not even with the human being. It's with philosophical forces and influences that come from the powers that be to try to shape the future illegitimately and make you fit into it. This whole thing in Ephesians is about who wins the battle for the future. It's not about your <laughs> old ugly Uncle Fred that causes you trouble. or It's not about your co-worker. Not about people talking evil about you. It's about shaping the future. It's about shaping destinies. Let me say it again. It's about shaping destinies. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Those are the political and philosophical forces. Against the rulers of the darkness of this age. Who did we just look at in the Bible was the rulers of the darkness of this age? The stars against spiritual hosts of wickedness, where? In the heavens. Because here, let's do it ancient and modern. So ancient people believed this. Ancient people believed that you were bound by fate as it was determined by the stars. You've got to understand, being an ancient person was no picnic. I was thinking about it today. I'm driving to church. That would have been a major undertaking as an ancient person without a car. <laughs> I mean, what's it like? I mean, think about it. We get to travel not only at, 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 at much higher rates of speed, but much higher rates of comfort. Turn the heater on in the winter. Don't get, don't, don't get snowed on or rained on or turn the air conditioner on in the summer. They didn't have any of that. What I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is life was hard. They didn't have access to all the modern means of medicine and vaccinations and stuff like that. Most families lost children to diseases that we take for granted that can be cured today. It wasn't easy. It was a very hard life. And so what determined their fate, they believed, and to a large degree was true, 
were the stars. That's how the whole idea of divination comes in. That they could look at the aligning of the planets and the aligning of the stars when you were born and tell you what your future was going to be. They still do it today. They tell you what your personality traits are going to be. They tell you what your strengths and weaknesses are going to be. They tell you what your day is going to be like. So you want, you want to just throw that out. You want to throw out an ancient system of philosophy that was proven and trusted by people for thousands and thousands of years. But we're so arrogant to think that, well, there must have been nothing to it because they were just stupid. They were just superstitious. They just didn't know. Maybe they knew more than we did. You understand what I'm saying? Are you breathing? I'm telling you. All right, now let's make it modern. The entire system of black magic, occultism, and witchcraft is based on the Zodiac. They're telling you what they're doing. They're working with the powers of darkness. But you think it's just some demon someplace. So where does the power of the energy... Everything in the universe is energetic. So where does the power or the energy come from in order to work magic? It either comes... Now bear with me in this a little folly, like Paul would tell some of his listeners. It either comes out of a Melchizedek anointing or... If it's not coming from God, another energy source has to be hijacked. Which is why spells have to be performed certain days of the week, under certain signs, at the full moon. Why at the full moon? Why why do your ritual magic at the full moon? Because the greater light that rules the darkness, the energy of it is greater. And so what's happening is in those rituals, they're harnessing the energy of the moon. They're harnessing the energy of the planets. They're harnessing the energy of the stars. Why do they celebrate the equinox? Why do they celebrate the solstices? Because there are unusually high amplitudes of energy that are coming based on the alignment of the planet with the stars and they take that energy and they're able to channel it towards an outcome so the source of the magic is the energy from the stars don't look at me so sad now come with me to Romans 12 I'm trying. <laughs> Romans 12. Romans 12, 1 through 3. Now, who offered sacrifices in Israel? Did the individual do the sacrifice? Who offered it? Priests. This Melchizedek thing is all over in your Bible if you have eyes to see it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So right there, he's telling you, you're a priest. Present your bodies to God. It's a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove 
what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, we have done so much. (sighs) Lord, help us. We've done damage to this verse. Uh, I, I told the first service, the problem with the church is we get versitis. We just take verses and what they mean to us and apply them in ways that are just crazy. And this is one of the worst. What is the perfect will of God? Well, I may not be in the perfect will of God, but at least I'm in the acceptable will of God. Anybody ever heard that? He's not really pleased and it's not perfect, but it's acceptable. So like God's got three levels. Or renew your mind means memorize scripture. And we don't know what to do with present our, presenting our bodies. So the newer translations just take that all, all, all together and say present yourself. There's a verse in Peter where it talks about people twisting the scripture to their own destruction. Second Peter, twisting the scripture. The word for twist there is an interesting word picture. It means to twist on the rack. It's a form of torture. So when you wanted to get a confession, watch this, when you wanted to get a confession out of somebody, you put them on the rack and twisted them until they said what you wanted them to say. Quite a picture, isn't it? All right, first of all, we've got to deal with some of the translations here. The word for transformed there is not the word for just changing your life. It's a very specific word. It's metamorpho in the Greek, but it literally means it's the transfiguration. So when Jesus goes up on a high mountain, very important language here. He takes them up on a high mountain after six days. This is an important pattern. Because what what Paul's pointing them back to is the transfiguration story. What happened with Christ should happen with you. After six days. Why does it say after six days? What was finished on the sixth day? Creation. So after six days has to do with the created order. Or the pattern of this world. He takes them up to a high place. And he is transfigured before them. And his clothes become shining white. What happens? A light comes out of him. This is important. And his face shone like the sun. Then Moses and Elijah show up next to him. Then they disappear. And there's a voice that comes from the heavens and says, This is my beloved son. Hear him. And the text very specifically says, Then there was no one on the mountain but them and Jesus. What's happening? All right, just tuck that in the back of your mind. So that's the pattern. Be ye transfigured by the renewing of your mind. Got it? Now the next thing we have to deal with is this word conformed. And it says it here, do not be conformed to this world. Conformed. The word for conformed there means to fit into a schematic. The word formed there is schema. 
And the word con means to fit into, right? So don't fit into the schematic. And watch this. The word for world there is not talking about the earth. He did not say the earth. He's talking about the word there is cosmos. So watch what he's saying. Present your body to God as a living sacrifice. This is your reasonable service. And don't conform yourself or fit yourself into the schematic of the cosmos. But be transfigured. Watch. Because in Genesis, the six days, the sun, the moon, and the stars have rulership upon the earth. So after six days, Jesus goes up on a high mountain, which always signifies a seat of authority. And the light that is within him begins to shine out of him, and his face shines like the sun, which means there's a new ruler of the day. Then Moses and Elijah show up. Why? Because Israel, watch this, whose Sabbaths, that's why it's after six days, whose Sabbaths are governed by the sun, the moon, and the stars. Under that rulership have the law and the prophets. When the event is over, God says, this is my son, hear him, and there's nobody but them and Jesus. Why? Because because the whole point of the new covenant is God is anointing new kings and new priests. God is anointing new rulership upon the earth, and he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. So therefore, this new government from this high mountain that's after the created order, that's after the six days, that's no longer conformed to the pattern of the cosmos, has a light shining from within that is supposed to govern the day and rule the night. Uh. And you don't have to follow the law or the prophets. All you have to do is hear Him. So here's what He's saying. Now watch, remember, to an ancient person, your future was determined by fate. And it was usually harsh. So watch what he's saying. Present your body as a priest. Why your body? Because it's the earthly part of you. It's the part of you that is subject to the cosmic forces of this world. So you don't present it to Pleiades. You don't present it to Virgo. You don't present it to Pisces. You don't present it to Pisces and say, well, I'm just going to be go with the flow because I'm a fish. Or you don't present it to Virgo and say, well, I'm an earthy, critical, purifying force in the earth, so I'm just going to be critical about everything that goes on. You don't present yourself to Taurus and say, well, I'm bullheaded. You don't present yourself to Leo and say, well, I just have to be the leader of the pack. Why? Because your body, birth order. Oh, come on, saints. You didn't just come into existence when you had your body. You see it? Why was, why was there a star over Jesus' birth? Because if you're going to have a new ruler, he's got to be born under a new star. <laughs> oh, my God. 
Come on, saints. Why was there a star at his birth? Oy. Come on, help me out here. Come on, you guys know I'm cutting against the grain. I need some support. If I don't get support from the folks in the house, I, I just might as well quit. So then he's saying, be transfigured. Let the light that is within you, just like Jesus, let the light that was within him shine out. Be conformed to that pattern and let the light that is within you. He's not talking about changing your temper. He's not talking about changing your bad, your stinking thinking. Go go read Zig Ziglar if you want to do that. That might be a good thing for you to do. But that's not the application of this verse. He's saying, let your consciousness no longer be ruled by the sun, moon, and the stars, but let your consciousness be renewed. Uh, Let it be brought back to something that was original state and an original condition. Because see, you didn't just pop into the existence when you were born. Because the Bible says that you were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world for the adoption of sonship. God told Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you and I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. You are something in the mind of God. You are spirit that has eternal existence. Eternal life doesn't just go all the way forward. It also goes all the way back. Just like God always was, there's a divine spark in you that always was. So you were born, (laughs) formed into this world of form and polarity and good and bad and darkness and light and hot and cold and pleasant and unpleasant, right? But your destiny is not determined by forces outside of you. So in other words, here's what he's saying. Let your mind be renewed. Go back to what you knew from the beginning. This is exactly the process God takes Jeremiah through. Jeremiah, before I knew you in your mother's womb, I... Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you and I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. And he says, Ah, Lord God, I'm but a child, I cannot speak. And God says, Don't say I'm but a child, for you will go to those to whom I send you and you'll say to them whatever I command you to say. What's happening? His mind's being not made new, something that never existed before. It's being renewed. It's being brought back to the original state. It's being brought back to the original condition and the original intention, the absolute purpose for why you came here in the first place. And so what Paul's saying is, don't let forces outside of you govern who you are. It doesn't matter whether it's political forces or it's religious forces. It does not matter if it's cosmic forces of the stars. You are not a victim to the shadow side of your astrological chart and the planets and the aligning of the stars do not determine your fate. So therefore disconnect yourself from that entire system and let your mind be made new, right? So that the light that is in you can shine forth so that you can be transfigured by the renewing of your mind. Why? So you can break free from the wheel of fortune. You can break free from the forces of fate. You can break free from those that would try to put curses and use witchcraft and the planets of the stars and and all that to control you and your mind and your destiny. You can set yourself totally free from that by offering yourself and presenting your body as a living sacrifice, having your consciousness renewed so that the sun that is in you, the light that is in you, the stars that are in you can begin to shine and bring forth a a new purpose, which means then you're free to prove Prove that you're not bound by fate. Prove 
that you're not bound by the spiritual forces of darkness. Prove that you're not bound by political ideologies and other things that are trying to shape the future. And prove the will of God for your own life. Why do you think Jesus said you had to be born from above or you couldn't see the kingdom? Above where? All right, let me just show you. Can I show you one more cool thing and then maybe we'll be done. Are you tracking with this okay? Revelation 22. No, let's do Galatians 4 first. Let's do Galatians 4 first. Watch this. Verse, Galatians chapter 4, verse 3. He's talking to Israel specifically. He's talking about the changing of the age. He's talking about the end of the law age and the coming forth of the age of the kingdom. That's what Paul's talking about. Galatians 4, he says, Even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of this world. Some of your newer translations will say under the spiritual forces of this world. He's talking about the same thing. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Got it? Now now come with me to verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and the other by the free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he who was of the free woman through the promise. Which things are symbolic, for these are two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. Watch this. But the Jerusalem above, everybody say the Jerusalem above. The Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. The Jerusalem above is free. Free from what? The Jerusalem above is free and is the mother. Everybody say mother. Mother of us all. Now come with me to Revelation 22. Why do you think there's 12 gates into this city? There's 12 constellations. Therefore, Israel had to have... Remember? Remember when Jacob has his dream? What bows down to him? The sun, moon, and stars. What did God tell Abram? Your seed will be like what? The stars of the sky. All right, I'm going to let you figure that one out on your own. Verse 22. But I saw no temple in it. This is the new Jerusalem. I saw no temple in it. This is the Jerusalem above. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. Was the Lamb in its light. 
And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor to it. There's another place where it says there shall be no night there. Why does it say that? Why does it specifically say that in New Jerusalem there is no night, neither is there sun, neither is there a moon, but that the nations will walk in the light of it? Because you've got to go back to Genesis and understand God set lights in the sky under creation to govern and to rule the day and the night. But the Jerusalem which is above is above all of that. There is no sun governing you when you're born from the Jerusalem. It's about your birth chart. Being born from above. See, if you're born from above, Virgo no longer, I'm a Virgo, Virgo no longer controls you. Because there is no sun, moon, or stars in the new Jerusalem. So therefore, you cannot be brought into bondage to the spiritual forces of this world. Because the Jerusalem above is free. Who is the mother of us all? You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine that men might see your good works and glorify their Father who is in heaven. And where is that light, saints? Can I show you one more? One, just one. I'm sorry. Just last one. Last one and I'm done. I just, I got to get this all out. Otherwise, you got to come back next week and hear it again. First Thessalonians 5. This is going to mess up your eschatology. <laughs> Where is Thessalonians? Somebody help me out. It's in the New Testament, right? <sighs> huh? It's after Colossians. Okay, thank you. Sheesh. I did go to Bible school. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Watch this. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. We read that for years. The Lord comes as a thief in the night. That's not what he says. What does he say? The day of the Lord, right? So when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. I'm sorry, that's not a peace treaty in the middle of Israel somewhere. It's talking about people who invest in false securities because they don't know who God is and they don't know who they are. But you, brethren, watch. You, brethren, are not in the darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope as uh, salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Look, he said the day of the Lord's coming. He didn't even talk about his second coming. He wasn't talking about the Lord coming like a thief in the night. He said, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And then watch what he does. Like a woman who has labor pains. 
What is a woman who's in labor? What's she giving birth to? Kids. So then he talks about the sons of the day and the sons of the darkness. Those who are born from the Jerusalem above and those who are born have yet to be reborn. So the day of the Lord can't show up without you. (laughs) And you're not of the darkness. You're of the day. So you can rule your stars. The destiny should be determined by the light that is already within you. Not by forces that are outside of you. If you don't break free from that in your thinking, you can never restructure the future. You can never tap into the anointing to restructure the future if you're still in bondage to the spiritual forces of this world. That's why if you're not born from above, you'll never see the kingdom that you're supposed to be ruling in as a king. You guys, this is like, this reminds me of the the first, what was it, the the Iraqi war, shock and awe. Like, <laughs> can you feel the presence of God on that? Can you feel the anointing on that? You understand what I'm saying to you? Let's stand up. Just sometimes presenting your body is important, right? So sometimes your posture is important. So this is not a criticism on anybody at all. I'm just trying to help you. But if we stand kind of like this or like this, you're not going to get much. Posture matters. It really does. So if you want to participate in the anointing of Christ to shape the future, then I would suggest to you that how you present your body to God is an important matter. So I'd ask you to offer yourself in some kind of a posture of surrender, whatever that is for you, a posture of openness and a posture of surrender from your heart presenting your body, your birth vehicle, if you will, to God is a living sacrifice. And so, Lord, I've given my understanding of these things in the best way that I know how. That I believe comes from your spirit, which is the spirit of truth. And, Father, we come before you as a kingdom of priests, as kings and priests to our God, and we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is ruler of the kings of the earth. And so our desire above all else is to only hear him. To only hear him. Father, I ask for you to do such a work in the life 
of your people, that we can stand on the Mount of Transfiguration for you, with you, with you. Where we acknowledge you as the beloved Son of the Father, and you, and you only, that we hear. And so I'm asking right now, Heavenly Father, for there to be a download of revelation, a download of impartation, that even as Paul prayed, that they would be strengthened with power by your spirit in the inner person. That the light that is within them, the divine spark within each one of us, that it would be raised, that the light of Christ would raise the light of Christ within us. And that we somehow as a people will begin to tap into the anointing of a Melchizedek order, the anointing of a Melchizedek priesthood to begin to shape and mold the future from a place of legitimate authority, the use of divine energy and power. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come right now upon each of us and bring a download of whatever it is that we need from heaven, from our home, from our mother, our heavenly mother, who is the Jerusalem above, who is the true bride of Christ. In Jesus' name. Now what needs to change in your life? What needs to shift? So you receive energy as a priest, but then you have to direct it as a king or queen, as a ruler. What needs to shift? I want you to look at whatever it is in your life that you want to shift, that needs to shift, that feels like it's controlling your destiny, that feels like a mountain. And Jesus said you could speak to that mountain if you didn't doubt in your heart, but you believed that what you say would come to pass, you would have whatsoever you say. Whatever that is for you, I want you to get it in your mind. I want you to hold it there. And I want us to repeat this together. I want you to say this after me. In the name of Jesus, I stand right now before this mountain, before this situation, and before this obstacle with a divine crown upon my head, with the authority of Almighty God, having been commissioned as his child in the order of Melchizedek and with that anointing that abides within me I speak to this situation and I command it to shift and I command it to change in alignment with my desires and in alignment with my will For the highest good of all. In Jesus' name. Now I want you to see in your mind that situation shifting or turning. 
in your favor. I want you to hold that image in mind. I want you to see that situation the way you want it to turn out. Hold it in your mind. Hold it in your imagination. Place your hands over your heart. And repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I receive this image as the seed of my future. I will hold it in my heart. I will incubate it until it comes to pass for my highest good and the highest good of all. In Jesus' name, amen. How do you feel? One person feels good. That's encouraging. How the rest do you feel? You feel the energy in the place? Thank you. Thank you for listening to this. This is not easy week after week to take in, I know. You guys are a group of radicals for sure. God bless you. Have a great afternoon. Thank you.